This episode is being sponsored by First Response Pregnancy. They are fervently committed to supporting, sharing, and empowering all pregnancy journeys and providing accurate information, especially to those struggling with infertility, loss of a baby, and maternal health inequities. I just remember laying on the bathroom floor and crying for I don't even know how long. Like I was in this like weird, numb daze. Hi, everyone. It's Olympic figure skater and broadcaster Tara Lipinski, and you're listening to Unexpecting. I started this podcast with my husband and now co-host Todd to bear it all about my untold five-year and often excruciating journey with infertility. The goal is simple, to take this taboo subject and demystify it, to normalize these important conversations, and hopefully to find answers. Nothing is off limits, and over the course of the series, we'll unpack my fertility mystery, the trauma we've endured, and hopefully offer those struggling alongside of us some valuable insight. So laugh and cry with us as we ride this unimaginable fertility roller coaster, hopefully toward a brighter day. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And if you know someone struggling with fertility, tell them about this podcast. Because our path might be different, but it doesn't mean we're lost. Hi guys, I'm Tara Lipinski. And this is Todd Kapastashi. And you are listening to episode seven of Unexpecting. Episode seven. So I quickly want to point out that, and you know, I know a lot of people only listen to their podcasts, but I am currently wearing my now infamous eggplant hoodie that we talked about last episode. And I, I think I was right. I think it's too much for well, me. Well, this is the first time I'm seeing it. It looks amazing. You look so cute. Guys, if you could see it, I wish you could give them all the positive feedback because <laughs> this is probably the last time I'll ever see it. I don't know. I think I'm too old to pull off like faded purple. Oh but. my goodness. Like, I don't even have a response for that. <laughs> <laughs> but I should also say that, you know, it's great if you're listening, but these episodes will also be up on Spotify and YouTube. So subscribe and do all that stuff and watch us. And you can see my eggplant sweatshirt <laughs> and person. how bad it looks. <laughs> <laughs> it looks great. So we left off in the last episode of Unexpecting with our second transfer. And we sort of skipped ahead to the day five testing that you did and hoping to see kind of a day five squinter, as they call them, like a very, very light line, which shows some HCG. And we didn't see that, right? Yeah, there was just nothing. Blank, not a zip. And believe me, I was really squinting to find that squinter. Yeah, and if anyone can find a squinter, it's Tara Lipinski. <laughs> I actually do feel like this is a skill of mine. But um, no, I just remember that morning, obviously day five, it was an important day for us to start home testing. And I couldn't sleep up probably five or six in the morning. And I just always remember these mornings because I'd look over, it's so dark out and you're asleep and I'm sneaking out of bed and trying to make sure the wrapper is quiet. And just those moments of anticipation and anxiety and all the thoughts of, oh my goodness, this could be the best day ever. Or, you know, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to be a few more days of limbo and maybe really bad news. And yeah, it just wasn't there. So then just take me through the progression of this one and how HCG levels were progressing. And again, the same sort of cycle we've been on. Well, they were definitely not progressing because I'd wake up the next morning on day six and I was like, okay, this is my shot. I got it. And it was just blank. And I think at that point, you know, again, I just tried to prepare myself, but it was just this realization of, oh my goodness, this may not work again. 
And I think I tested probably day seven, day eight. I think, you know, that's the weird thing. As much as I knew, you know, at day eight when I didn't see a line that it was probably over again, your mind knows that, but your heart doesn't. And the hope that you hang on to regardless of the situation, you keep testing. You know, I still woke up on day nine and tested to see, you know, a blank test and, when I went in on day 10, that's when they would take my blood work. And oh my God, I love the guy that that always took my blood there. He was so invested in our journey. But you know, he'd see on his computer like, oh, we're testing for HCG. And I'd be like, don't worry, I'm not pregnant. <laughs> um, but that's the day you know, it's just, it didn't stick. It didn't implant and it's over. This is an interesting kind of failure to process, I think, because on one hand, it's, worse than a lot of these other failures we've had because it's so soon. It's like, oh, it didn't even stick at all. We didn't even get to like step two of the process. But then weirdly, on the other hand, it's obviously less traumatizing than going into a heartbeat scan and saying, you know, thinking that maybe it's going to happen and then it doesn't and you're told there's no heartbeat and it's a, you know, a miscarriage. But I mean, how did you process this loss versus like the miscarriages? Look, I, I think however you lose an embryo, It is so difficult. It is so heartbreaking. Obviously, there's differences between going through a miscarriage and a failed embryo transfer, and I've had both, and they're both sad in different ways. I find going through beta hell and the limbo of weeks and months of a miscarriage and procedures and and the waiting game afterwards to be very difficult, but you can't discount all the women and couples that go through failed embryo transfers because you work so hard for them. You could work for a year just for one and then it's gone. Well, I mean, we worked for multiple years to get our bank of embryos. And then, you know, to me, it's almost like, you know, you're building your dream home, everything you've ever envisioned for your life and you get the keys and it's moving day. And as you're walking up to the house, it's just like engulfed in flames and it's heartbreaking. So for, for us, we lost a hard earned embryo there. Yeah, and it is in a in a sad way. It's we know the gender of it. We like it's potential life. So it's it is sad and it is again for us it was another <laughs> data point. I feel like we've gotten to every single data point at this point. It's like we get to certain places in this process and it's a failure. And you know what we should have one. done, Todd? I just realized this. We should have like made a room in our house, you know, with like the boards with all the red strings that we should have just had like we were solving a yeah, murder. Like the <laughs> FBI headquarters. Yes. <laughs> no, but it is hard because you know, you know, especially if you genetically test them, you know that they're healthy, you know the gender And it's hard not to think about those things. I know that I used to, and you know, eventually I... I stopped this, but I would immediately know my transfer date and go in and use the IVF due date calendar and put my numbers in and the dates in and it would tell you when the baby's birthday will be. And then I'd be like, ooh, what astrology sign is she going to be or he going to be? And then, you know, you go through this and you start while you're prepping for months, the hoping and the envisioning of what could be. You know, it's funny too, like looking back at that transfer now years later, I think at the time, because I didn't have, I was so overwhelmed with all the information we were getting in, honestly, just the failure. It's like, it's hard too to like be super critical or analytical of your situation in the moment when you're just so bummed that all this like stuff is happening to you. But like at the time, I just remember feeling like, oh man, this is just, I don't want to think about like 
what the problem is necessarily in that moment. I'm just bummed that like, I don't think this is going to happen for us. Right. Like that was why I was sad. I wasn't like, oh, this is another data point that we have to analyze and what does this mean and this and right. that. And we would do that later, certainly. But I think in those moments, it's just like, okay, another like sign that every single thing is wrong with us and it's not working. This is exactly it. You hit the nail on the head. That's how I felt. And I think probably so many people feel in that moment where it's just, oh my goodness, like this may not be a reality for us. Because even now I look back and I'm like, man, I should have just like sat down and figured out a problem <laughs> like on my own somehow. But again, in the moment, you're just like so beat down and tired and don't want to think about what the problem right. is. You're just sad that yes. it's not working. Yeah. And it's also, you know, what's sad about these failures when they give you that call or it's over is that you feel so close, right? Like they put this embryo inside of me. It was genetically normal. It's it, all of these things. It has such a high chance of sticking. And we were so close to going back to a normal life because I remember life before this and there's ups and there's downs and there's shitty things that happen, but I don't know how you feel. The last five years, it's like a very certain kind of life that we lived of just surviving that I just wanted to be over. Yeah. And maybe this is a comment that I should dive deeper into in a later episode, but I think it started here where you start to think hard about like your motivations. It was like, okay, Todd, you're upset at this, this failure and this loss, but is it because you're so desperate to have a child and so excited about having a child and so upset that like you're not in nine months going to have a child? Or are you more upset that you're just sick of this life? Which is weird because it's- Both. It, yeah, it is both. <laughs> but you start to almost question yourself. You're like, well, how much do I really want a kid? Because like, I don't know. I just, I want this over somehow. <laughs> I know. I mean, I remember sometimes you even saying like, I don't even know- if I want to keep doing this, you know, I don't even know if I want a kid at this point, if this is what life is, which was hard for me. Cause you know, I understand the feeling, but I was like, Oh God, don't ever stop wanting this well, yet. Cause like, <laughs> we're going to be on very different pages. Yeah. But you know, now being a little removed from all that, like a few years ago when we're in our sort of worst place, I think like all these miscarriages, mm -hmm. like I just, I always obviously wanted a child. Like, this is, again, the whole reason we began this. It was just, life was so miserable that I started to wonder like, hey, should we stop down like at year three and be like, okay, Tara, how much do you really want children? Because it felt like maybe this wasn't in the cards for us and we should kind of- Reevaluate. Yeah, reevaluate and start talking about it because at a certain point, it almost felt like we were not doing it to do it, but it was like, we want this, we wanted this so badly years ago. We're three years into it, like- do we still want it as badly? Like, why are we putting ourselves I through did. this? <laughs> I did. <laughs> and I don't want to come across as saying no. at any point I didn't want no, but I want think, to stop or no, want but kids. I think this is an actual true conversation that I will be interested to see if people connect to because I think this is what makes IVF really hard on relationships and marriages. And I think you know there are a lot of women or men that go through this process, and at a certain point, the the financial, the emotional you know, the physical weight of it is too much and they do change their mind or they do start to doubt. So I actually think this is a good conversation to and, and interesting to hear your perspective because I think that was the truth of it. Yeah, I mean, to really boil it down, I almost think that in these moments where we were failing, I was more upset that we'd have to keep going than whether I'd be like happy that we were finally having 
a child, you know, it sounds so weird and no, wrong. No, but I think it's, I think a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. We decided to go right into a third transfer, try it again. What was the motivation behind that? Well, you know, you get to talk to your doctor afterwards and Dr. Beck just said, look, everything looks good. You know, we've tested you for everything. It's just, again, it was sort of like, that's just the luck of the draw. There's nothing, nothing wrong. Let's go again. And I think, you know, there was no reason to wait at this point. You know, when it is failed, it just starts right over and you don't, you know, have these long waits or complications. So we could jump right back in. And, you know, now at this point, I don't know, I I was 39 and um, I wasn't getting any younger and we had some problem that we didn't have an answer to. So I felt that, that pressure of moving forward. We talked in the last episode about our kind of funny um, Switzerland story with meddling and just, again, the idea of life continuing while we're doing all this stuff. So we had the doc series we were working on together. And this, I know, was such a bummer for you that we had a trip to Russia um, as a part of that trip that kind of coincided with this transfer. And I know you were, you know, skaters in Russia who you wanted to reconnect with potentially and just wanted to go on that trip, which interestingly was, you know, very close to um, the war that broke out, obviously, between Russia and Ukraine. So I went you know, by myself, you couldn't go, but um, I'm probably some of the last Americans to to be able to make that trip. I mean, at this point, I'm kind of like, okay, I'm glad I didn't go. But, um, you know, I think that it was hard on me because this, this project, Meddling, was our very first project together. We had dreamed of working together for how many, I mean, since we met, this was a dream of ours. And it finally happened. It was, go, you know, this project was happening through COVID. It almost got canceled. We kept it alive. We were, you know, making the impossible possible. And I wanted to show you every part of my sport. I wanted to introduce you to every skater I knew. It was just so special for me to be able to do that. And um, yeah, it kind this one kind of burned. But I, again, you know, my mindset, I'm like, sorry, I have a job to do. And it's not this. But while you were gone, I just felt like, ugh, I wanted to be there. And I was the producer, so I was a little worried because, you know, you did all the directing and editing, but I set up every interview, got every skater part of this. And I thought, you know, they're expecting to see me. Like, I hope they show up for Todd. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I probably shouldn't mention this, but... Don't mention a name. A prominent prominent Russian coach questioned why you weren't there. Right. And, and I don't know if she believed the answer. She did, she, well, yeah, that, that's my point. She, I don't think she believed what you were struggling with and why you weren't there. And you gave her a really smart Alec comment. Don't, don't mess with my, <laughs> yeah, don't mess with my you woman. Did. <laughs> <laughs> you did. Yeah, she might be one of the greatest coaches of all time in figure skating, but I told her off. It's fine. <laughs> oh man. Um, you know, another thing Tara will pretty much every time we're prepping for an episode, be like, when can we talk about Dublin again and him (laughs) passing? And it was so sad, but we need to tell people that Dublin did pass away. So around this time, we are here at this point, Dara. Now, you know, he did. So again, 
I feel like we get into the woe is us thing and I don't want to do that. No. But, you know, the COVID, the Dublin, the complications with meddling, like all these failures, like they weren't fun and they were hard and we were just trudging right. through life. And then our dog who, again, if you know us and you've listened to previous episodes. Or you follow my Instagram at the obs- time. Like. Yeah, we're obsessed <laughs> with this dog. And he was just an amazing, I mean, everyone loves their dogs. Yeah. And, and Dublin was such an amazing spirit and he did kind of pass away. It was right hard for me because, time. I mean, anyone losing a dog, it's difficult for the obvious reasons. But during this time, it was hard for me because he was like my heart dog. He was my baby. And he like, and I say this to you, he knew when I was going through things. Like when I had a miscarriage, he'd lay his head on my stomach. He never did that. He he just knew me so well. And I tried so hard to make him comfortable in the last years of his life and take care of him. And I just thought, we're gonna have a baby that he'll meet. And that was all I wanted. And I, how many years did I say that? I'm like, Dubby, before he dies, is gonna meet our baby and we need to make that happen. And he just didn't. You know, around this time too, and we keep, again, this podcast is very thematic because a lot of these things keep repeating themselves. But like, you know, around this time, again, life seemed to be very one note with fertility. Um, What did for you, did you feel like life was consisting of at this point? I was just like a desperate woman at this point. And I just feel like my life consisted of ordering medication and going to doctor's appointments and scans and cycles and blood work and acupuncture. And, you know, I even... You know, I had a friend who introduced me to this angel of a person named Angel. <laughs> and she taught yoga and Angel had gone through IVF herself and she had a loss and then she was pregnant. So she had a big belly. She was maybe eight or nine months pregnant. And we would do, you know, she was so spiritual. So again, very <laughs> different than my normal yeah. personality and well, we um, talked about some of the mantras and the journaling. This almost went another step further. It really did. Some of these chants were oh, they're beautiful. So beautiful. Wait, but what's so funny is like Todd, I was doing it in the kitchen for some reason at this time. So I had my yoga bag out and I would see you like walk behind me. But first off, there'd be like chanting music on that she would want me to play. And then she had the sweetest voice and she would be like, Now I want you to talk to your baby. And you know, we knew we were gonna put in um a girl this next time and she She's like, I want you to say like, baby girl, your mama's here. Your mom is waiting for you. Your mama loves you, baby girl. And we would do all of this while like just doing gentle movement. And then she gave me some chance on YouTube. She's like, this will calm you down at night. And I just remember the first night I we like lay in bed and I put on this like, I mean, it was like a chant, which I was very <laughs> into, but you're like, turn that off. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, <laughs> making me out I to be it. some sort I of like- I did though, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, you never listened to me anyway, so it was fine. I was like, turn it up. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it was helpful emotionally probably for you. I think that, yes, I mean, I was desperate at this point, but I also liked doing these things. And I think that's important for people to find ways to cope. And it reminded me a lot, and I I know we talk about this a lot, but I always, and I'm not sure if you notice this, I love to fall back into like my previous life as an athlete. And this was something I so connected to. When I was skating, I would put on tapes and I would, you know, listen to my voice at night talking through a program. And I would have these very like spiritual you know, emotional, like I will do this. And because you do, you have to make your mental game as strong as your physical. So I do think that it's not just like I was desperate doing this. 
I think this was helping me. It was giving me strength in a certain way and belief. I mean, when I skated that night at the Olympics, like, yes, I was trained and it was just relying that I wasn't going to fall, but my mind had to be like iron, you know, there was nothing that could permeate it. And a lot of that had to do with just this like dreamer and belief. And so I am that person. I like that. And now a quick word from our sponsors. First Response is fervently committed to supporting, sharing, and empowering all pregnancy journeys and provide accurate information, especially to those struggling with infertility, loss of a baby, and maternal health inequities. First Response knows that when testing for pregnancy, you want to be sure of your result. That's why they created Comfort Check, a pregnancy test kit that helps you test confidently and conveniently. The First Response Comfort Check Pregnancy Test Kit is a value pack containing eight total tests, three First Response Early Result Tests, and five First Response Pregnancy Test Strips, allowing women to test early and often for added reassurance. First Response's Early Result Test included in the Comfort Check Kit is their number one best-selling pregnancy test. It detects all major forms of the pregnancy hormone commonly found in urine and is over 99% accurate from the day of your expected period, with results ready to be read in just three minutes. The First Response Comfort Check Pregnancy Test Kit is available for purchase in-store and online. Be sure to pick one up today. We all know how expensive fertility treatments can be. Many people struggle to figure out a feasible financial plan for IVF when they are struggling to build a family. And many people don't actively pursue fertility preservation because of the cost. It's a reminder that fertility treatments are not accessible to everyone. Carrot Fertility is a company whose mission is to make fertility healthcare affordable and accessible for everyone. What an incredible and life-changing mission. Carrot offers a simple, comprehensive global fertility benefits solution. How do they do this? By working closely with companies to add fertility benefits to their offerings for employees. This can bring so much opportunity into people's lives as they think about building a family. And we all deserve the chance at fertility treatment if we want it. If you don't currently have fertility benefits where you work, you can request Carrot for your company by following carrotfertility.com slash unexpected. During this time, you know, we talk a lot about low points and there were many. Um, they just kind of kept getting lower and lower, but... I remember during this time you struggling with like patches for the transfer and kind of losing it a little bit. Yeah, I I reached, I think, a point of anxiety surrounding this next transfer that it was now peaking at top levels. You know, I was like kind of holding it together through all these losses and failures. And now it was just getting to the point where you know, I feel like I was like losing my mind a little bit. And I remember like while we were doing the transfer and, you know, I, for some reason, anatomically, I don't have like a lot, you're, you have to put your estrogen patches, like two of them or three of them in a certain spot. I feel like I don't have a lot of space where they tell me. So I have to get them very close together, but then the medicine is in these patches. You don't want to overlap them, but it was, you know, I was, I kind of overlapped and then there was like a bubble in it and that's where you need the medicine. And in your mind, you're overthinking everything, right? You never want to feel like I did something. You get to the point where you're like, if this fails because of something I did, like, I don't know how I can live with that. Yeah. I mean, I think and it's so irrational. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a bigger conversation here too about like that stuff. Like during this time you were obsessing over 
like the shots and how they worked and the patches. And part of it was like, yeah, of course it matters. You don't want to like right. not get the medicine, but like you were so focused on it being so perfect in the, in the exact correct spot and doing right. the shots exactly right. Where I was trying to be like, you know, the voice of reason a little bit being like, Hey, if this is like off by a centimeter, it's okay. Like, <laughs> well, it- no, it doesn't have to be on by a centimeter, but you know, I like to do it at a certain time. I never want to, for you know, forget a shot, but you know, I just remember this night vividly in our room because I was trying to still stay positive because like that is who I am. You know, this was all hard, but I'm kind of a positive person and that's how I get through my days. And I was like, it's Christmas, my favorite freaking holiday. We are going to decorate. I know you love when I decorate, but it was just hard to gather that energy and garner that energy and do it. And I just remember like stopping down and I was, it was time to put on my patches and they all got stuck on each other. I had to rip them off and start over. And then I didn't have a patch. So I was like racing through the house and I just was like crying, tears just pouring down my face over a stupid estrogen patch. But that was our life. Yeah. So our third transfer attempt was, as you mentioned, around Christmas, December 7th, 2021, which actually reminds me of like an argument we always get into every year. Because I was thinking when you were saying all the stuff about Christmas and decorating, I was like, wait, our our transfer was like early in December. Why would we be setting up decorations? And then uh, I realized- I know where you're going. This is why we were, because we decorate for Christmas right after- Thanksgiving. Halloween, essentially. No, 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 no. No. You want to put up the tree. So, okay, I, this is a massive debate yes. we have. We've asked probably every I'm person right. in our <laughs> in our sphere of yes. people that we know this question. Tara thinks it's okay before to have a Christmas tree before Thanksgiving. Yes, I do. I have the strongest feelings about this than I have about <laughs> anything else in the entire universe. I, I just, Thanksgiving, you're belittling Thanksgiving. You're I, taking what's special about Thanksgiving and the vibes, the fall vibes of Thanksgiving and turning it into no, a winter we're, we're, holiday. We're mixing them a little bit so that you get the full effect because you know what? You only had 25 days of Christmas if you're doing that. And that's not enough. Also, guys, this is what's really funny is we put the Christmas tree up on <laughs> November or whatever, 20th. I swear and Tara will deny this. By December 25th, this tree, man, you touch one of those needles, <laughs> the entire branch just like just collapses. Like falls down. But you know what? This I will- tree is dead by the 25th. And I'm like, I walk over. I'm like, Tara, is this the kind of I'm tree like, you want? i water it. <laughs> yeah. No amount of water Keep is alive. keeping a tree alive in someone's home for I, 50 days. I love Christmas. But guys, I think it's kind of cute because when we first started, like when he first started to realize what a crazy Christmas person I am. But I am too. But I just want to keep not it. not the same as I want to maintain. I mean, the we, sanctity of the December Christmas. I mean, we have a lot of Christmas decorations. And at first, like I remember the first year when we were decorating, you were like, oh, I, I think we can just do like a few here. And I was like, oh no, that's not the plan. And then like, I also do the bedroom. Like the bedroom becomes like a winter white wonderland. And I think it's the cutest thing now after eight years. Like at first it was like, oh, we don't need, like we don't need to do that. And then when I would like take it down that first year, he's like, oh, really? You, you taking it down already? And then like the next year it'd be like, oh, are you going to, you going to do the do the white Christmas tree in there and like you love it. Yeah. One <laughs> other thing too that we've had a few little hiccups on in our marriage is the lighting of the Christmas tree. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. We got uh, first wait, of guys, all, one I've of never our biggest met- fight 
ever. I've was never, this our biggest fight? I've never met anyone who A, is so specific about how many lights they want on their Christmas tree and how many physical lights. Like you would think, you know, I went to Costco or whatever, Target to get lights and I came back with like, what seemed to be like way too many lights for one Christmas tree. And Tara's like, you only got 12 boxes. Like go back and get 17 more. <laughs> okay, guys, let me tell the real story here. We put up the Christmas tree and I don't know if you're sh- you should go from down to up, but he went from up to down. <laughs> okay. And all of a sudden it's perfect at the top. And then he starts realizing there's not enough light. So halfway through the, the Christmas tree, it just becomes like really skimpy to the bottom where it's barely even making it. So I just said to you, I said, Todd, you need to go out and get more. Well, first of all, back up for a second. Talk <laughs> about, everyone knows what performance anxiety is. <laughs> Tara, picture this. I'm on a ladder trying to do this. I know how heavily she's scrutinizing this and she's just sitting on the couch with what a glass of buttery Chardonnay, <laughs> just like watching me, not saying anything, kind of nodding in approval when like the top of the tree has like 10,000 lights on it. She's like, okay, we're doing okay. And then I can tell that, the lights are no, running out. No, but guys, out. it was actually, this was like a legit thing for us. I remember this. It was it was cute though, the way we resolved it because he steps back and he's like, it looks great. And I was like almost <laughs> well, no, in tears. And I knew, I, it, like, I knew it didn't look great, but it's like one of those things if you convince somebody that it looks great. <laughs> yeah, so I just was like, Todd, I was leaving on a trip that night and I was like, Todd, you just have to get more. And you're like, it looks fine. And I just was so upset. And we got into a fight. It was like, this means a lot to me. Like, this is one of those things that it's irrational and whatever, but just like for, you know, our marriage, it is important that you care about the things I care about. And you're like, no, it's it looks good. And then I came back from my trip and it was like rock of the Rockefeller tree. He must have got 400,000 I tripled up on the lights, lights. yeah. It almost had too many, but I was like, <laughs> it's beautiful. It's like one of those trees where you like walk in the house and your eyes like open wide because it's so much light. It's like my retinas were burning every time I was in that oh, room. Oh man. But yeah, so the third transfer was on December 7th, 2021 before Christmas. Um, you know, we don't have to get into the weeds on this one, but just talk about the progression of testing for that transfer and kind of what happened. Yeah. So day five woke up and, you know, I think at this point, and I don't know if you remember this, I was, I was, <laughs> I was getting weird. I just like was losing my mind a little bit. And I was like, our bathroom is unlucky. I can't go in there. I can't test in that bathroom another time. I don't know how many times I've done it. I'm going to move to a different bathroom. You know, so I started moving around the house to do my, my, my pregnancy test. And I even remember going into like, what would be the baby's room and going into that bathroom thinking like, well, this is good luck. And that's where I went for day five and there was nothing. You know, obviously I keep testing and and this is the transfer that I'll always remember. I started to hit, I mean, who, who would have realized we were going to hit lower points, but this was really maybe the lowest point so far for me. And emotionally, I was just at my wit's end. And I remember, I think it was day six because I like remember it vividly because I, you know, day five, day six, you want to see it. And there was just nothing there. And I, you know, again, wake up in the morning, don't want you to hear me. And like, I just couldn't come back into bed and tell you that it's not happening again. I just remember laying on the bathroom floor and crying for, I don't even know how long. Like I was in this like weird, numb days. Like I'm a solver. And and at this point, I, I didn't, what was there to solve? What is wrong? I remember there were times that I was 
during this transfer, pulling over in the car. Cause like, it wasn't like I was, I was almost, it was like a numb cry. I don't even know how to explain what it was. It wasn't like that, like how I was in the first couple of years that, you know, the real cry, the ugly cry. It was just like staring straight ahead, dead eyes, numb crying. And I would be like driving somewhere and they would just be like, falling down my face and I'd be like, I can't see, I'm going to pull over. And then I would just like sit and not feel anything, but just kind of cry and be like, okay, now going back to my day. It was just like, I was becoming this weird robot and it was awful. Yeah. I mean, I think that started to be our, maybe our most difficult time. And for me, you know, and I think this is like an aside, but I just had a lot of people and friends at the time ask me about my, our fertility journey. And I'd say, uh, you know, it's fine. Like we're, trying to figure it out. We're still doing it. And they'd make comments like, oh, we'll just wait until you actually, you know, have kids and it's so hard. And they'd make like jokes about, oh, like your lifestyle is going to change. Like you and Tara can't do your like dinners out anymore. And they'd sort of, and I get it. I think having kids and being a parent is like an important rite of passage. I think once you go through that, especially the first probably couple of years of like raising a child, like the sleepless nights and just kids are are crazy. And it's an experience, obviously, you go through with your partner of like raising a child. I think people have this like pride of going through that experience. And I, I totally get that. And I hope we get to experience that at some point. And I'm sure it's massively difficult, obviously, to, to raise a child and your life changes. But I think I started to get like irrationally angry and annoyed at these people saying stuff about how difficult raising just a- Just wait, like the just yeah, wait yeah. comments. The just wait till you actually have a family. And it's like, well, we've already sacrificed a lot in our life to even try to get a child. And what I wanted to say if I was being an asshole was like, look, man, there's like 8 billion people in the world. <laughs> they were all raised by somebody. Right, like a right. lot of people go through this. And right. unfortunately, not everyone, fortunately, actually, yes. not everyone has to go through infertility and struggle to even get, get to the there. point where they have sleepless nights because the baby's crying. So right. I struggled with a lot of those conversations. I, you know, Todd, I did too. And it's so nice that we could have these conversations here together because it is hard because when I got the same comments, oh, just wait, till you get the hot flashes or just wait till, you know, your feet are swollen or you have nausea. It's like, well, what's so sad is I I had nausea through my pregnancies and I never got a baby from it. And I have hot flashes because I've been on hormones for four years. And then, yes, I haven't experienced a birth, but like you, when I go through a DNC, like a lot of people don't maybe think about this. Like, it is a procedure and sometimes I had numbness and pain and I also bled for months one time. You know, like there are all these things that you're not yet, you know, entitled to mom, but you're going through really difficult things that you're sacrificing your life for. And it's hard to hear those comments. What's well, also the just wait. It's like, I don't want to wait. I we want, are waiting. <laughs> I want the shit all over me. I want to be up all night. And look, if again, if we are lucky enough to be parents, like I may wake up at 3 a.m. one night with the baby crying for the 50th night in a row and be like, oh my gosh, this was much harder than infertility. But like, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't think it will be. I think we're going to be so appreciative of the process. Of course, we're going right. to be wanting to strangle each other probably right. and have mo rough moments and it will be difficult. But I, I hope, I hope we have like a, a, a big appreciation I, for how I we think got here. I think my mindset has changed on things. I'll give you two points. And you know this about me. What's the one thing I hate most in life when it comes to sickness? 
being uh, nauseous. Yeah, yeah. Being nauseous. I hate it. I don't handle it well. I actually do this weird moan. <laughs> <laughs> For another episode, but oh my gosh. It's, <laughs> it's hard to be supportive of a sick person when this is all they do for like four straight days. <laughs> so look, guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not a good nauseous person. Like, I feel like I can handle a lot, but I am terrible at nausea. <laughs> I feel like there was one point on like day four where I try to be a really empathetic caregiver, yeah. but I was just oh, like- but I had food poisoning. I was like, I, I, I can't listen to this moan anymore. Like, I, I'm out of here. Like, <laughs> like, here's some Sprite, here's some ginger ale and chicken soup. I'm, I'm leaving. No, but this is what's so sad about that. Like, it's my, I hate it. I actually like fear it. How, like when I was pregnant, how many times did I come downstairs and be like, oh my God, I'm nauseous. I'm nauseous. I'm nauseous. It's like amazing. It's the best thing ever. Oh my God. Like, when am I going to be nauseous again? Oh my gosh, the nausea is leaving. Like I would feel like hell, but I was so excited that there was nausea and you, and you would be like, what happened to you? Yeah. And again, we don't, we're like the preface king and queen. Yeah. We we're not saying that parenting and having a family and raising infants and toddlers is not massively difficult. I just think for people going through infertility, it's hard when it's the just wait. Yeah, I think the same thing. Again, like I said, I, I I hope when we're parents, I'll always remember what we felt like here when I'm talking to women and couples that haven't had a kid. Because I try so hard to think of all the different groups, especially in the infertility and IVF world. But, you know, I recently on my Instagram account came across a woman who went through years of IVF, right? And horrible journey, had a baby girl and she was born with a super, super rare disease. And now she's parenting this child and she talks a lot about, you know, wow, IVF, like I thought that was so hard. This can't even compare. So anyway, you talk about the levels. That's just a perfect example. So needless to say, around this time, you were kind of hitting an emotional low, I guess, in our journey and for good reason. And I think we were both just searching for motivation to, to kind of keep going or to just, we were so baffled by what was potentially the issue that it was hard to be like, all right, let's do another retrieval or let's do another transfer. Let's try a time trigger. It was just hard to find that motivation. But one thing, and you can tell me, that seemed to like turn around your attitude in a pretty significant way was a conversation you actually had with Michelle Kwan, which I could write a book on how fascinating that this was, just because I just find that interaction that you guys had so revealing about just like what's fun and awesome about life. For people who don't know, Tara and Michelle skated at the same time in the late 90s, both beautiful, amazing skaters. Um, you guys were considered, you know, quote unquote rivals. You guys are 15, 16 years old skating at the Olympics and you have this sort of rivalry. And then 25 years later, you can have like a really different kind of conversation and you have this shared experience from all these years ago that kind of fueled this conversation, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I just have to say, I have always felt a connection to Michelle Kwan and now I'm curious and I feel like I'm going to need to ask her if she feels the same way. But I mean, just looking back, I, I was 13. She was 15 when we started competing against each other. We were just babies. We were skating at the height of figure skating's popularity. We were both favorites at the 1998 Olympic Games. You know, she knew what it was like to wake up at 5 a.m. and train every day. And we just have this really, I think, unique 
period of time in skating that we shared together. And I feel like I've always tried to fill you in of like, Todd, this is what it was like. And, you know, I tell my friends, but, you know, she's really the only one that knows what it feels like, like I did skating out to center ice that night or... I don't know. I just feel like we have this very special connection. Yeah, I'm kind of jealous. I want to know. <laughs> I want to be in that club. I mean, I try to tell you. But... I'm jealous of Michelle. <laughs> I don't want her to know something I don't know. Yeah, I no, but you're might. right. I get it. It's just like, there's not, I mean, in all sports, you think about like elite people at in any sport, whether it's Olympics, whether it's, you know, LeBron and Kobe, like have a shared thing of being the best player on their team right. and one of the best players in the world playing in the NBA finals or whatever it is. Like they know what that's like. And not many other people do. So yeah, it's it's makes sense why you and Michelle have this connection kind of forever. Yeah, forever. I feel like we do. And then I saw an Instagram post that she put up announcing the birth of her baby girl. And I read the caption and I just felt like maybe she might have had, you know, a similar journey. Who knows? And I just picked that up from her caption and said, you know what, I'm just going to DM her. And I just reached out and I just said, hey, like, is there any way we can chat? Just wanted to talk to you about something. So we did. And we had a two-hour conversation. And like you said, just reconnecting in this way. Of course, we've seen each other at events and whatnot. But reconnecting in this really vulnerable way for two hours was so crazy and so beautiful in a way. So I asked Michelle if I could talk about our conversation on this podcast because I really feel like it had such a huge impact on me. And I feel like you remember that, you know, like afterwards, I even told her, you know, I've been telling my husband about this conversation. It just really helped me in in taking these next steps. She gave me great advice and beautiful stories. And, you know, I think at this point, I was doubting myself of what I should do next And because there's so many different avenues you can take. And what's so funny is she just had the same view that I did of what the next step should be. And that, it felt like it gave me permission. It felt like it gave me confidence to believe in my, you know, gut and that that's what I should do. And it was just so freeing. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, hearing you talk to me after about the conversation, you tell me if I'm wrong, but it almost seemed to me like, and you may not even know it at the time, but you went to her almost subconsciously as this person who, like you described, you had the shared experience. You were such an admirer of her like competitive spirit. And like you guys, again, went through the same thing and competed against each other. And you felt probably on the same level where, okay, Tara, you're like down in the dumps, like, like in skating, like what would I do to sort of get myself out of this funk or whatever? And it's almost like you went to her subconsciously as like maybe Michelle can just like fire me up I don't know what the comparison is. It almost felt like the beginning of like the Terminator movie when Arnold Schwarzenegger's like released and he's got his like laser eye. It's yeah. like you were in, you emerged from that conversation like as a new person. Like you went from the down in the dumps, I don't know what to do, Tara, to like confident. I I really yeah. became confident in my choice of what I wanted to do next. And I think that's again, like you were saying, we I mean, Michelle obviously is an incredibly hard worker and driven and has that competitive spirit. And I think what I was thinking about next steps, I started to think like, Tara, are you crazy? Like, how how are you going to keep doing this? Or is that the right thing to do? And then for Michelle to, you know, cut me off and back it up and be like, yeah, that's what you should do. I was like, yeah, that's what I should do. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like in a nutshell, you guys were probably just connecting over this like shared athletic mindset of doesn't matter what's thrown in your way, just just do it, push through it. And I think maybe over, and it makes sense, but over the last three years, as we were going through this, you had lost a little bit of that competitive edge that <laughs> allowed you <laughs> to win the Olympics and all that stuff. And it's almost like you subconsciously reconnected with Michelle to like reinvigorate that kind of fire. Yeah. And I you think, got it from I her. I think, and it's not even, you know, the motivation or the get up and go again. It was just also just feeling heard and feeling like you get it, you get it. And I think I can do this. Yeah. And the other thing that I just find so awesome about that conversation is again, I kind of touched on this, but it's like, it's what is so cool about life is like two people who were so young and had this rivalry and this competitiveness and people cared so much about that. You know, you still get like hate social media things from like Michelle Kwan fans. And if they only knew that you guys were connecting in such a special way over something that actually mattered, not to say clearly your careers and, you know, Michelle had an amazing, you know, legendary career on her, uh, you know, herself, and it's important, obviously, athletic accomplishment is super important. And, you know, I'm sure you wouldn't give up what you accomplished back then for anything. But the point is, like, it was sports and it was one thing. And this is a different thing. This is like, in a way, like real life. This is like right. having kids and being happy in life. And we're, you're both adults now and you can have this conversation and she can give you the sage advice that helps motivate you. And I just thought it was just really cool. It just like makes me giggle because inside here I am like, you know, texting Michelle during treatments and giving her updates. And, you know, again, it just, that conversation, and we talked a lot. We talked about, you know, like you said, motivation, but we talked about almost every area of this. And she gave me such beautiful advice of, you know, options and ideas. And I don't know, it was special. And now a quick word from our sponsors. Ritual's founder, Kat Schneider, started this incredible company because she couldn't find a prenatal she could trust. And I am lucky she did. And by the way, she built this company while pregnant. That's not an easy feat to take on the multivitamin aisle and grow a human at the same time. Like Kat, it was important for me to find a prenatal that I could trust during my long journey through IVF. And for me, that was the essential for women prenatal. I love that it is non-GMO, project verified, gluten and major allergen free, as well as vegan. I also really like that the delayed release capsules are designed to dissolve later in the small intestine, an ideal place to absorb nutrients. And it was a bonus that they were easy on my stomach. So why settle for a multivitamin you're not 100% sure about? Ritual was literally built on trust. So you know it's the real deal. Ritual is offering my listeners 30% off during your first month. Visit ritual.com slash Tara to start Ritual or add Essential for Women Prenatal to your subscription today. I've truly loved introducing you to Receptiva DX throughout this podcast. I personally took this powerful test during my own IVF journey, and it gave me the answers I was looking for. Unexplained infertility is a club that no one wants to be a part of. So let's make this sometimes mysterious journey a little easier. One way to do that is by checking for important issues that could be preventing pregnancy. Receptiva DX does that by looking for inflammation on the uterine lining. Having inflammation on your uterine lining can put you at a much greater risk of implantation failure or pregnancy loss. One reason for a positive Receptiva DX result is endometriosis, including silent endometriosis, where you may not experience typical symptoms. 
If you are someone who suspects that they have endometriosis, this is a crucial test to learn about and to be able to ask your doctor about. I truly, truly believe in this test as it has had such a positive impact on my own journey. To learn more, please go to ReceptivaDX.com. This is funny and kind of touchy because at this point, we had some funny conversations about this, but obviously COVID was going on. So we were Uh getting vaccines and boosters and all this stuff. And around this time, I wanted, or we both wanted to get the COVID booster, but I had had issues (laughs) (laughs) with fevers and my sperm. And so we had a little hiccup on, I really wanted to get the booster. And you were like, oh, can you just wait? Yeah, we had a little, again, this hiccup number or whatever of (laughs) IVF. I was like, Todd, we're going into another cycle. You cannot get the booster right now. Like you were like, no, we need to get it. Just we need to get it right now. And I'm like, I, look, I am a, I love a vaccine, you know, but, but not now because like you get fevers after you get vaccines. And I'm like, we've been through this twice. Like, let's not do it again. No, it's RFK Junior over here. <laughs> no, Anti-vaxer. Oh, come on, stop it. <laughs> Don't even. You know that's gonna upset me. No, <laughs> no, we're the opposite of that. But the thing, if I'm being vulnerable, I think the reason why on this I was so. Why? Forceful on wanting to get the uh-huh. booster in that moment was a control thing. It was again, yes. it was like, yeah, it you're, was. Not, <laughs> you're not drinking, you're not doing this, you're taking these pills, you're not doing that, 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 this, and this. And to say like, you're not getting the booster was just another one of those things where I'm like, no, I'm going to stand up for myself. I'm getting my booster yep. and I'm going to take control of my life back, which again, as I said, I don't know, last episode or two episodes ago, like, Clearly, it was you from a place of just wanting to control and wanting to, you know. Set us up for success without any other variables. And so I was like, all right, screw it. Terry, your worst fear is not going to come true. Just go get the vaccine. Got the vaccine. Another, chalk it up for another mistake Todd (laughs) made pushing for the vaccine. So this is actually kind of a funny story, but we only... Because the Olympics were coming, mm-hmm. um, we didn't have time to do really anything significant with our in our fertility journey. So again, we did a time trigger. Um, Pretty much of- natural pregnancy. They trigger me to ovulate and there's a very small window where you are ovulating and then you go home and you just have sex. And I should probably say Jack Lipinski, if you're listening, maybe tune out for the next <laughs> three or so minutes um, and rejoin us. But... <sighs> Unfortunately, IVF and people who go through infertility know this, like it takes the magic out of kind of everything in the process, obviously. Like I'm going into a room and doing my thing into a cup and you're getting like eggs pulled and there's no sexiness to any of this, obviously. It's very clinical. And as you go along, it's very procedural in a a certain, certain way. So the timed intercourses was a little different, you know, in a good way. Like, especially early on, I was like, oh, yes, timed intercourse. Like, I don't have to go into a, a room where people are outside loitering to, to you know, fill up a cup. Um, so they were good and great and fun and fine. I think as we went along, the timed intercourses became harder Stressful. and harder because it was like, again, it was a stress of like, is this going to work? Is, is it right. not? And we knew it probably wasn't, but I still think you were putting a certain so degree- much pressure. A pressure on it. So we get our booster shot and Tara's 
worst fear comes to fruition. Again, check mark against Todd. I got a really, really bad fever. A high fever. It was 103. like 103 something. Like I was not doing well at all. Like, like it I happened. felt terrible. I couldn't believe it. I just like looked at you and I wanted to say, I told you so, but you were so sick. Guys, when I say I'm dying, <laughs> I am like, dying. I'm dying. Steam it was like, coming off of him. <laughs> and it was like our story in Montana yeah. during Christmas. Yes. I mean, that was a little worse. That was like 104 yeah. something, but I... I was taking my temperature and I was like 103 plus. Yeah. I was not doing well at no, all. And of struggle, course, Tara. Struggle city. Tara comes up. She's like, we, we're doing this. There's no excuses. No. I don't care if you're <laughs> on your deathbed. Or I was nice. I was trying to get you wet rags to make your temperature come down. Yeah. But so guys, I am not, I'm not feeling great at all. And we need to have sex. <laughs> and so, you know, not to get too graphic, but we start. And again, this, it's just, it's hard. It yeah. really is. And looking back, it's funny because, you know, I think we have good sexual <laughs> chemistry and everything's great in that department, but we start and we actually had to stop. You're like, I, you actually said to me, you're like, you said to me, you're like, I am so sick. I cannot do this. And I didn't know what to say and in that we'll, moment. And not to be Mr. Egomaniac here. We didn't stop because like things weren't working. <laughs> no, <laughs> like that was all fine. Like, I was laying like, there. You're like, I, was, I cannot. I was like, I, I feel so bad. I'm like, I'm going to I'm going to fall asleep <laughs> or throw up. And it was bad. It was bad. But like in my mind, guys, just from my perspective, because <laughs> I don't want to seem crazy. You know, it wasn't like, oh, we could have done this tomorrow. Like I'm leaving the next day for the Olympics. We just spent a ton of money on the trigger shot, which by the way, was also a disaster because like a day and a half or whatever it is before you do your trigger shot, we're up in the kitchen. It's always hard for me to do the trigger shot. All of a sudden I see the liquid shoot across <laughs> the room and I like lose half of it. I'm like in tears. Like, did I just ruin that expensive shot and it's not going to work now? I'm like dialing the nurse's number and they're like, it's okay, just go through with it. And then like, you're like, Tara, I just... I can't do it. And I was like, what can I do? And also I feel like, and again, not to get too graphic, I was like, I, I've i never said this before, but I am going to lay here. <laughs> like I, I don't, I'm not capable of doing much work here. So this this is on you. And not to get graphic, but we, we, we did it. We did it. <laughs> we crossed the finish line. <laughs> you know, it's funny though. It's like a lot of these moments, like that was a pretty, not that it was disturbing, but it was like, we can laugh about it now. In the moment it was just like, you know, you're taking the fun out of sex. You were like doing this like very procedural thing. Like I was sick. We're frustrated that like this probably isn't going to work anyway. And it seems like it was a pretty bad moment in a, in a certain respect. But isn't that kind of like what life is all about? Like when we're 90 and on our deathbed, we're going to be like, you know, thinking about that moment. It's almost like sweet in a sort of yeah. way that like we went through this that thing together. together. We're even now three years later, like laughing about yes. it as like a memory that I remember vividly. And You'll never forget. I, you know, I'm misremembering <laughs> it because I remember how awful it was. But, you know, that's like what life is about. It's about these like crazy, weird things mm -hmm. that we do together. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like, I don't know how to articulate this, but it's almost like moments like that mean nothing, but they also mean everything, yeah. you know? I agree. Yeah. Um, but shockingly, that didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> didn't get pregnant from Big that shock. one. I mean, honestly, like if that would have worked, uh, I don't know what I would have I mean, thought. there's just there was just no way. We were sort of cursed from the I feel start. like if that would have worked, the kid would have come out with nine heads <laughs> or something. <laughs> Nineteen toes. <laughs> okay, so 
we start preparing for our sixth retrieval. Um, why did we start to do another retrieval? Well, it was the timing. I had to go to the Olympics because they were postponed, but now it was time for the Winter Olympics. Obviously, I went to Tokyo the year before for the summer, but this is the real deal for us, figure skating, the big event. And there was no way to prepare for a transfer. So we tried to figure out what to do with this you know, month or month and a half that I was going to be away in New York um, while working the Olympics. So... I think because we were, we didn't really have any other options that we could squeeze in. We said, okay, you're 39. We are losing embryos like hot potatoes. You know, just the sad reality of it is, you know, the older you get, the harder it is to get genetically normal embryos. This may be a good opportunity to do another retrieval to sort of replenish. Yeah. <laughs> All, you know, as we keep losing them, you, get scared. Yeah. I mean, I think we didn't know what the problem was. We had lost two in a matter of like a few months. Of four months. We lost four total. Yeah, so it's, it, you go through them faster than you think. Yeah. And it took us so long to get them. So, and I think like you mentioned at our age, it sort of felt like, well, what if we just go through a few more and then we're done, we're done. and we're like 43 right. years old and we right. can't make it, any more exactly. and it's over. And I think this goes back to sort of that gut feeling I had of what next steps I wanted to do of like just going for it. And we did, we went for it and I started, it was the craziest retrieval of my life. I did it during an Olympic games. Which was February, just to kind of keep everyone updated on the timeline. This is now February of 2022, sixth retrieval, you're prepping for it and you're at the Olympics. So obviously this presented some challenges, just describe sort of how difficult it was to kind of prep for that retrieval during the Olympics. Oh, it, just a few challenges. Like we were in Stamford, Connecticut, and we were covering the Olympics in China, in Beijing live. So that meant we were on China's time zone. So like to give you an example of my day, it would be that I'd wake up at around 1 a.m., go into the studio, work for eight hours, do, you know, the live event, jump like, a, you know, because we would finish maybe around 12 or 1 p.m. I would jump in the car and be so nervous I was going to miss the close of the clinic at 4 p.m. in the city. So I had to go from Stanford to New York, which anyone who does that drive, sometimes it takes two hours each way, rush to the clinic, I'd get scanned, I'd get blood work, and then I'd come back and I would do a few hours of notes. I'd be back by maybe like six or so. And then I would do notes frantically and try to sleep from like seven to 1 a.m. It was just, and you were there for part of it and you saw it. It was just nuts. Well, also worth pointing out, it's not like you're commentating like the Oklahoma rodeo. <laughs> you're doing like the premiere event at the Olympics. So this isn't like, oh, I had to do my event and then sk skirt off to the city to to yeah. go to the clinic, like you were, you know, commentating a very high pressure. Yes. I mean, it was live. It was like live. People were winning the Olympic yeah, games and I was covering it. And it was so crazy because some of my outfits, you know, Johnny and I get dressed up and I would be like, Jay, like I picked the wrong outfit today because we would do like a live shot at like 6.56 and I'd be like, I have to take my shot at seven, which means like I had to have all my medicine with me and I'd like run into the bathroom right across the hall and I'd be like, I can't get it out. And Johnny's like unzippering me. He's like, hurry up. We got to be back in there in two minutes. I'm like, okay, get my skirt off. And like, then we're running back. We're like, okay, we sit in our seat, headphones on. We're like, we're cool, Terry. Don't worry. Everything is fine. We're under control. 
I mean, I just remember one night with you because like, you know, it's stressful. Like it's, it's a lot in these hours, you know, sports TV, long hours. And um, the time change was really hard for me. I don't sleep so well when it's not the right time. Yeah. And I remember one night I was like, Todd, like, is this going to affect my retrieval? Like I'm sleeping like four hours a night and I also am exhausted and I need to be, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed tomorrow morning. And I just remember you rubbing my, my back literally for hours. Cause like, you know, when you start rubbing someone's back and then they stop and I was like, <laughs> and then it makes it worse. I was like, Todd, you just, you got to do it till you know I'm asleep. And I remember it took me a while and you kept going. Yeah. I was probably like half asleep, <laughs> just trying to keep my arm going. I know. So we get through, you get through the Olympics um, and we head into that six retrieval Groundhog Day, but take me through the portal and what you saw and what our kind of final results were of that. So we were lucky. We sent three embryos out and then we did the, you know, long two week wait after that. And we opened that portal and there, you know, my nurse actually called me at the same time. And I'll always remember Erica calling me and she's like, you got one. You, I'm opening it. You got one, you know? And we were just so happy. And I remember going to dinner that night and rewarding myself with a glass of wine and just like, those were the wins. Those were the, like, oddly, those are the days that I remember, you know, happily through this crappy journey. Yeah, it's weird because that's, again, I don't know what the math is, but third year or wherever, two and a half, three years into this whole thing. And like, I think two years before that, we would have been like, oh, we got one. Like, okay, cool. But like, oh, I wish we would have gotten three or like questioning everything. Now it was just like one was like the greatest gift. It really was. It's funny to think back, like when we started IVF, we thought, oh, one retrieval, family of eight. Now here we are. And we are just so excited for one embryo. It's like it has this halo of light around it. So yes, when I got this one genetically normal embryo, you know, I was so desperate at this point that that result was like a highlight of the last five years. Thanks for listening to Unexpecting the Podcast. Please subscribe, leave a review, and follow Unexpecting Pod on Instagram for info about upcoming weekly episode releases. And hey, DM me on Instagram if you'd like to engage about fertility. I'd love to hear your story because our path might be different, but it doesn't mean we're lost. This episode has been sponsored by First Response Pregnancy. Their Comfort Check Pregnancy Kit and all other products are available for purchase in-store and online.